0: It's so wonderful to be able to gather together today on the day that we commemorate and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Now, the truth is, every time we gather together, in effect, that's, that's what we're doing, but it's nice to be able to have a day where we just reflect on that maybe a little bit extra, a little bit deeper, and just express our thanks to the Lord for all that He accomplished on our behalf in His resurrection And what we're going to see this morning as we look at Scripture together is the fact that that there were a variety of promises given, many promises given all throughout the course of the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfilled the promises that we were given, and He demonstrates that in His resurrection, and He even takes the time after His resurrection to explain and illustrate some of these things, and that's where the Scripture that we're looking at today points us. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Luke 24. I'm going to start at verse 36 of Luke 24, and I'm going to read down to verse 49, and then we'll come back and visit these verses along the way. Luke 24, starting with verse 36, as we look at the fact that Jesus fulfilled the promises we were given, and this is what it says, starting with verse 36 of Luke chapter 24. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for what we're able to look at today as we look at a portion of Scripture that, that records these conversations and these discussions and these illustrated events that, that took place after the resurrection of your son, just after his resurrection. As people were still stunned, as people were shocked and trying to figure out what was going on. And Father, we're so grateful for what we have the privilege to read here. And Lord, we, we just pray that as our hearts and our minds are focused on the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, today, that we would look at these words here and and think about the things that your son fulfilled, the promises that he is indeed the fulfillment of. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged as we look at these things and, and think about these things in a fresh way today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this is not an understatement to say this, but I'll just say this right at the start here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central event of our faith. Everything we believe, it rests on that singular event. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, our faith would be pointless. If our Savior is dead and buried, then that would mean that we are still spiritually dead, we are still chained to our sins. We are destined to spend our eternities as rebels who are banished from the presence of God. But Jesus is not dead, the tomb is empty. Jesus rose from the grave just as he assured his followers that he would, and because of his resurrection, we could be assured that that we who believe in him will also rise from death. That's one of the things that Scripture makes abundantly clear, that we are united to Christ, and we'll be looking at that in just a few minutes. But as we trust in Jesus, he lives within us. So the grip that sin once had over our lives, it's been broken. The command that Satan once had over us has been nullified. The sting of death has been replaced with the assurance of eternal life. And I bring this up today to encourage our hearts with the truth that Jesus was trying to explain to His followers in the portion of Scripture that we just read together. He was trying to assure them and trying to assure us of the fact that we don't need to be troubled because He has fulfilled the promises that He's given, and all things ultimately are going to come to the resolution that Jesus Christ is seeking to bring things toward. Jesus secured the ultimate victory on our behalf. He secured victory over everything that was torturing us. He secured victory over everything that was defeating us. And this is the kind of confidence that Christ was seeking to instill in his followers after his resurrection because so many of them were confused and they were so fearful. You could even see in the context that they were in, they were hiding from people. They were trying to stay behind closed doors because their leader, Christ, their rabbi, their teacher, the one that that they were following had been executed and they weren't surprised to think that people might want to execute them as well. And so many of them were thinking, do we just kind of stay hidden? Do we just kind of keep everything quiet? Do we try to avoid people? What do we do? And so they were fearful and they were confused and they were unsure what to do. And you look at what Christ is saying to them and he's saying, listen, you don't have to be fearful. It's all going to work out. Everything's going to work out. And he stands before them as one who has defeated death. It's hard to be afraid of death when, when your, your friend comes back from it. It's like, hey, I used to be fearful of death. It's like, yeah, a lot of people are. Uh, that got defeated the other day, right? as we look at this passage, as we attempt to to foster the same kind of confidence that Christ was trying to foster in in the heart of His his early followers, I think there are several useful questions that that we could ask as we look at a a passage like this. And one of my favorite ways to look at portions of Scripture like this is to ask questions as I'm going through it, because I think it helps me apply some of these things to my day-to-day life, and I hope it helps you apply these things to your life as well. And one of the questions I want to throw out there to us is this, are we still wrestling with doubt? Are you still wrestling with doubt in some area or multiple areas? This is something that Jesus was addressing with these followers, these early believers that were seeing Him in His resurrected state. But he, I think he invites us to ask this question. Are we still wrestling with doubt? Look again at verse 36. Let me read a few more of these verses here. Let me reread them. In verse 36, he says, as they were talking about these things, so just picture, they're, they're sitting down, they're talking about these things, the fact that Jesus, you know, people are saying the tomb is empty, and, and uh, people are saying that, that he's appeared, and it says, as they, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, And thought they saw a spirit. Now keep that in the back of your mind. They're they're thinking they're seeing a spirit because all of a sudden he just appears in the room. And obviously that would freak everybody out, right? But verse 38, it says, And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Then he gives them some assurance here. He says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see, that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now, let me, let me just pause for a second there. They disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Do you ever, you know, we use the phrase, it's just too good to be true, right? It's too good to be true. That's kind of what that's saying. They disbelieve for joy. This is too good to be true. And they're marveling and they're thinking, and some of them I think are still thinking like, this is the spirit of Jesus, right? He's not here bodily, is he? And I bring that up because look at the next sentence. He, he tries to dispel that for them. He's like, all right, let me prove to you that I'm here bodily, right? It says, they disbelieved for joy. They were marveling. And he said to them, all right, have you anything here to eat? And then they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. I don't think he ate it because he was hungry, right? I think he ate it because, all right, let me, let me just show you. I've got bones, I've got the scars, I, I'm right here. All right, let me do one more thing. Watch as the fish disappears inside me. You know, if I was a ghost, I think you'd see it, right? So it was a clearly established fact that Jesus had been crucified. It was a clearly, cl- uh, clearly established fact that Jesus had been killed. Crowds witnessed it, soldiers facilitated the, the whole thing. A spear was jammed through his lungs, a spear was jammed through his heart to confirm it. His corpse had been placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea after Pilate was informed by a centurion that Jesus had indeed died, that he was executed, and then on top of that, a large stone had been rolled in front of the tomb, and Jesus had been placed in that tomb, and that that stone was rolled in front of it, that tomb was sealed, it was made secure, It was guarded by Roman soldiers. All these things had taken place, and yet, just as he had promised, Jesus rose from the death on the third day, and he starts appearing to his followers. And his followers, again, they had been deeply shaken. They were discouraged. They were disturbed by the harsh torture and the execution that Jesus had received. Scripture tells us that he appeared to the women at the tomb. He also appeared to the the disciples. He also walked with others on the road to Emmaus. And the people were startled at his appearing. Again, it's one of those things where they wanted to believe this, but they're startled by this. And again, even in this passage, you have Jesus seeking to calm the startled people down because they were so frightened at his appearing. They think they're seeing a ghost. He has to calm them down. But I like the question that Jesus asked this group as he appeared to them. He asked them, why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? That's a question that's worth wrestling with, or questions that are worth wrestling with. In their context, Jesus, if you look through, so this portion of Scripture is right there at the end of Luke's gospel, and uh, our midweek Bible study, we just spent two years going through every, uh, you know, like just about the entirety of the gospel of Luke. And If you go through the gospel of Luke, you realize that Jesus has told them time and time and time again that he was going to be executed and rise from the grave, that these things were going to happen to him. This wasn't something that he had not spoken about with them. He said this over and over again during the course of his earthly ministry. And I don't know if when these early disciples were hearing him say these things, if maybe they thought he was talking in allegory, because when you look at some of it, he's also talking in in parables and, and doing different things. And so I think maybe it's possible that some of them thought that this was some sort of a parable or, or they were trying to read into it in a particular way, but they were perplexed. They were terrified when it all took place, even though Jesus had told them it was going to happen. But it's also interesting to look and see that they were also joyful so in some respects, when I look at this, I, I can't help but think that the believers were possibly experiencing some level of emotional overload. When I look at something like this, I just think, I just think they, they just must have been overwhelmed with everything that was taking place. They were seeing things that they had never seen before, and I think it was just taking some time for them to process all of this. Now, doubt is a natural thing for us to experience. I think all of us have experienced doubt in one way or another. I think from time to time, We wrestle with things that we even say to ourselves, you know, why am I wrestling with this? I don't know that I should necessarily wrestle with this, but I don't think it's uncommon for us, even as believers in Christ, I don't think it's uncommon for us to sometimes doubt God's goodness. Do you ever go through a season of life where it just seems like a whole bunch of things are piling on all at the same time, and you start thinking to yourself, you start maybe even asking yourself questions like, is God good? Is he good? We start sometimes doubting his goodness. Sometimes we doubt whether or not he's going to provide for us. We go through a season that feels a little bit lean, and we start doubting his provision. Or maybe you go through a season where you're starting to feel a little threatened. You start to doubt his protection. Or maybe you start looking around at the circumstances around us, and it just kind of looks bleak. And it looks like all is lost, and maybe we even start doubting his promises. You know, promises for the future. You know, we wrestle with these things. These are things that sometimes we struggle with. It it can be very difficult to believe things that are yet future because we haven't yet seen them with our eyes, and it's very difficult for, for us to trust what we have not yet seen because we're creatures who go through life having a lot of faith in what can be seen. And so when we're asked to trust in the Lord for things that we have not yet seen, Scripture tells us elsewhere in Hebrews 11 that that's the essence of faith, that you're willing to trust God for things that you have not yet seen, well, that stretches your faith to do that. Naturally speaking, it's just easier to rely on your sight. But spiritually speaking, the spot the Lord wants you and I to get to, and in fact, Scripture tells us, This is what actually really pleases God. If you want to know what pleases God, if you want to live a life that pleases God, if that's something you ever think about, Lord, am I pleasing you? Scripture makes it very clear. Here's how you please God. Just trust Him completely. Trust Him completely, so much so that you're willing to submit your life over to Him. And just listen to what He has to say. If He says it, trust that it's the right decision. If He directs it, trust that it's the right direction to go. He just wants us to trust Him for things that we have not yet seen. But we wrestle with doubt because our hearts prefer to walk by sight. But here's something to keep in mind. You know what walking by sight actually does? It actually fosters fear, not trust. Because the truth is, when you think about all the things that are going on in this world, how much can you see? How much have you seen? You've only ever seen what's right in front of your face. And there is a lot more to creation, a lot more to this world, a lot more to history than what's come before my eyes or your eyes. And if we're going to go through life only trusting what we have seen, what that ends up doing is it fosters fear. It doesn't foster faith. So if you want to live a fearful life, trust only what you've seen with your eyes. You know, trust only the insulated, time-bound experiences that you've had up to this point. It'll foster fear. Eventually, it will turn into fear in one form or another. But if, on the other hand, you'd like to experience joy, trust Jesus. Christ invites us to become confident in Him. This is what He was encouraging these early believers to do He's inviting them to have confidence in Him, to trust in Him, to rest in the knowledge that our lives and our futures are safe in His hands because He has defeated the things that were set against us. He's defeated sin, He's defeated Satan. And he clearly was illustrating that he defeated death. So are you still wrestling with doubt? Well, if we are, what should we do with that doubt? Admit it to the Lord, hand it over to him, and just ask ask him to, to fill us with faith where our faith feels like it needs to be bolstered and strengthened. Another question I want to throw out to us today. Do you understand what God's revealing to you? Do you understand what he's revealing He's trying to make something clear. Do you understand it? Look again at verse 44 and some of the verses immediately after that. It says this, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You ever tried to read the Bible straight through? You ever try and attempt that? I think a lot of people probably try and attempt that at the start of a new year, and then usually people get a few books in, and then they're they're like, all right, I guess I'm done. That didn't work for me, right? (laughs) Maybe you've done that. I remember the first time that I I really kind of set in my mind, okay, I'm going to develop a a disciplined study of the Bible. I didn't really know where to start. I I thought, I mean, I guess I could just start at page one and just kind of work my way through. But I I remember I was a a kid at summer camp, and I went to a Christian camp, and I really looked up to my camp counselor And I remember him saying over and over again that his favorite book of the Bible was the book of James. And I was like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. So while I was still at summer camp, and by the way, what's your schedule like when you're at summer camp? You barely get a minute to pause, right? It's like game after game, activity after activity. And I remember we had a little bit of a break in the afternoon, so I took my Bible and I went to this old couch in the the recreation hall and um, and I sat down and I had my Bible open to the book of James. I was like, I'm going to read the book of James. And I started reading, and I fell asleep. (laughs) I fell asleep on that couch, not because the Bible's boring, but because I was exhausted. Probably shouldn't have been laying down on a couch while I was exhausted, you know, uh, and trying to read, right? That'll put anyone to sleep if you do it in that context. But that was was my first attempt, and uh, it it took me some time after that to to finally develop a discipline of it. Um, Just this week, actually, this just happened yesterday. I asked my son just before church if I could share this with you guys. I was going through just emails I had archived just yesterday right here in the office. And uh, I came across an email that he sent me when he was seven years old, right after we had set up an email account for him for the first time. This is Daniel. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. You know, my 18-year-old son, what did he send me when he was seven? And so I read it, and it said, hey, Dad, I hope you're having a great day. I love you. And then he said, hey, P.S., will you teach me the Bible? That's what the PS was. Will you teach me the Bible? <laughs> I love that, right? And so I'm, I'm just, I'm just wondering from you: Have you ever taken the time to read the Scriptures? Have you ever t- taken the time to work your way through it? Can I give you, can I give you a, a hint? If you're someone that struggles to sit, sit down and read, there are a whole bunch of apps and a whole bunch of podcasts that you could listen to. That you could just listen to the Bible if, uh, if you want to do it while you're driving and while you're paying attention, working on other things. There are ways that we could get the content of Scripture in our hearts, and I, I have to tell you, the more I read the Bible, the more interesting it becomes to me. And I've read it a bunch of times at this point, and the more I read it, the more interesting it becomes. I have not found that spot where you get bored with it, and here's the thing that's interesting: Every time you read it, you notice something you didn't notice the last time, because the Lord divinely is helping you to catch things when you're ready for it, and you catch something at a new season that you didn't notice at the other season. And it's like, oh, apparently he made me ready to understand this now. And then you understand that, and then you understand that. And I honestly feel like like every time I think I'm becoming familiar with its content, the Holy Spirit shows me something new. So it's fascinating. And one of the most fascinating aspects of the Bible is the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired it to be progressively written over the course of 1,500 years. So, you know, you look at the Bible, even though it's 66 individual books written on three continents, in three different languages, over a period of, like I said, 1,500 years roundabout, by more than 40 individual writers, 40 individual authors who came from many different walks of life, the Bible remains one unified book from beginning to end without contradiction. And when you read through the pages of the Bible, you begin to see that the content of each book of the Bible, no matter which book you're in, it's actually trying to point your heart toward trusting Jesus Christ. And that's actually the key. If you actually want to understand what you're reading, keep asking the question all the way through, no matter what book you're in, how is this trying to point me to Jesus? I didn't understand the Bible until I started asking that question. Now, following his resurrection, you have Jesus explaining this. This is why Luke 24 is one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. You have Jesus attempting to clarify all of this for his followers, and he explained to them that the entire Old Testament, so they didn't call it the Old Testament at the time that he was having this conversation with them because the New Testament wasn't yet written. So it's like right after World War I. People didn't call it World War I, right? It's like, wait, there's going to be another one of these? Yeah, that one's going to be even worse. It's like, wait... They called it the Great War, right? And so during that era here, they didn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. They called it, they'd usually call it the books of Moses and the books of the prophets, or they'd call it the law and the, and the prophets, or, or the law and the writings and the prophets. And here you have Jesus basically saying, look, whether you're in the books of law, whether you're in the books of history, whether you're in the books of poetry, whether you're in the books of prophecy, wherever you are in the Scriptures... It was all pointing to him the whole time. The whole thing was pointing to him. Time and time again, God's people were told that the Savior was coming. They were told where he would be born. They were told the family line that he would be born into. This is all in the Old Testament. They were told some of the words he would say. In fact, Psalm 22, check it out one of these days, maybe today. Wait till I'm done preaching, though, you know. But check it out. I mean, it's got a whole bunch of the things that Jesus would say tells us the way he would die, tells us, you know, the Old Testament even told us when he would die, you know, when he would be cut off from his people, told us why he would experience death, told us the fact that he would, you know, it illustrates for us the fact that he would rise from death to offer salvation to the nations. It's all there. It's all there in the Old Testament. But it's also true that unless the Lord opens up our minds and opens up our eyes to be able to understand these things, it will seem like foolishness to us and we won't even understand what we're reading. And the simple fact that the, the creator of all mankind would take on flesh like his creation and allow himself to be humiliated and allow himself to be tortured and allow himself to be killed by the people that he made, that seems foolish, to those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. But that's exactly what Jesus came to do. But Scripture reveals to us that many people in this world are going to find this foolish. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It seems like folly, it seems like foolishness to those who don't believe, but to, to those of us who are being saved, It's the power of God. So still, just as Jesus had promised, he suffered for our sin. Then the scripture makes it clear that he rose to secure victory over sin, proving that he is indeed God in the flesh. And as Jesus states in this passage, the story of what he's accomplishing, it actually continues beyond his resurrection. He tells us that his will for this era of human history is that his gospel, his message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins Should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. And when I read portions of scripture like that, I'm amazed that here we are, you know, on the other side of the world from where these words were first stated. And just the fact that we're reading them and contemplating them shows exactly the fact that what Jesus said was true. We don't live anywhere near where these things were first spoken. And yet here we are meditating on them and praising God for these things. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And that's the part of the redemptive story that's still being written. That's the part that we have the joyful privilege to actually participate in with the Lord. And he's opened up our eyes to see our need for him. And he gives us his words to speak to others and in the effort to open up their eyes as well. And I look at this and I say, all right, do we understand this? Is this something that we understand? Do we understand what God is seeking to reveal to us? Is this message and is this mission ringing loud and clear in our minds? Do we understand that this is what the Lord has revealed, that this is what he's done, and that this is something that he allows you and I to actually participate in with him? It's a beautiful thing. One other question I want to point out from this portion of scripture, and that's this. Do you believe that you've been given the power that you need? Look at verse 49. Just a short verse, but it's significant. Jesus said, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Just think of that statement for a second. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. What is he talking about here? But he says, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, it's a little chilly today. Not bad, because the sun is out, but it was a little warmer a few days ago. It's a little chilly today, but I have to tell you, I love this time of year. Not super crazy about the pollen, but I'm crazy about everything else. I love when it gets a little bit warmer. I love when the weather is cooperative. It seems to give me a boost of energy. It seems to... um, I don't know, I feel like I could get more done. I feel like it it improves my disposition. And some of you are like, yeah, you're a real crab during the winter, Pastor. I get it, but here we go. You know, it's spring now. Uh, But one of the worst things, and this is kind of interesting, living here in Southeast PA, um, do you know that we lose power here in Southeast PA more frequently than we did when I lived up in the Poconos? And I think of the, like where I lived in the Poconos, it was like just a little bit remote. We lose power more frequently down here. I remember one of my neighbors saying to me when we first moved in the house, she's like, yeah, are you going to buy a generator? Are you going to do anything like that? I was like, I don't know. Do it. Do you think I need one down here? And, uh, and she said, oh, our power goes out all the time. That's what she said. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I doubt it. And then I found out, oh, no, it does. <laughs> it goes out all the time, at least for our neighborhood, it seems to go out all the time. And uh, isn't it interesting how when the power goes out in your home, it really changes the culture of your home immediately? You know, like, every, like no, we don't know what to do. I don't know, like, how would we even live, you know, 150 years ago? We'd be, if we were transplanted into that time, we'd be like, what do I do? I need a tutorial. I need boot camp on living in this rustic condition. We don't know what to do. You know, the house is dark, and we're like, okay, and everyone just kind of sits there until your phone runs out of juice, right? And then you're like, now I don't know what to do because I didn't think to charge my portable battery. Can we start a car up and, and just let it run while I charge my phone? Like, dude, no, we're not starting a car to charge a phone. We're not doing that. <laughs> and you, it just, you, you find yourself thinking, like in the middle of the winter, you think, all right, well, the house is gonna be cold because we don't have power to, to run the furnace, and so the place is gonna be freezing. And you almost go into panic mode when you don't have power, right? We don't have power, we just panic, well, you look at Jesus and what he's speaking about at the, at, at the end of this section that we're looking at today, and he speaks about power, speaking about power here. And he recognizes that just in life in general, you know, just as, as we try to operate, no matter what season of history we live in, that power is something that we desperately need, particularly as we seek to live our lives as his faithful followers in the midst of a fallen world that doesn't celebrate the things that we're celebrating. And so in this passage, Jesus looks at his followers. He looks at his disciples and he says, listen, stick around in Jerusalem for a little bit. I want you to stay here for a little bit until you are clothed with power. He says they're gonna be clothed with power. And he said he would be sending the promise of his father to them. What's he talking about here? He says to them, as the promise of the Father comes to them, that they would then have the power that they needed to fulfill the work that he had called them to do. So he's speaking to a group of people that I think at this point feel frazzled and scared and weak. And he's saying, I'm I'm actually going to make you powerful. I'm going to give you power. The power you're going to be given is divine in origin. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. What was Jesus revealing to them? What was he telling them about? And by the way, the same power that he's speaking of here is power that you and I possess as well. Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture reveals to us that God exists in three co-eternal and co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, And Jesus was preparing them for the fact that he was now returning to the Father. And as he did so, he said, I'm going to send to you the third person of the Trinity. I'm going to send to you the Spirit. And he'll live within you, and he'll work through you. And he'll do this for all who trust in me. That's what Christ was revealing. So do you realize, think about us right in the context that we're in right now and the power that we desperately need, do you realize that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit lives within you and he grants you divine power and he grants you divine counsel and he grants you divine comfort when you need it and he grants you divine wisdom. Do you ever wonder sometimes why you're seeing things that it feels like the rest of the world's not noticing? Do you ever consider that that could be the power of the Holy Spirit within you, giving you wisdom and discernment to see things that the rest of the world is actually powerless to understand? Why do you think we as believers see things differently? You look at the same exact issue that the rest of the world is looking at, and while they're freaking out, you find yourself looking at it and saying, I see this differently. Why do you see it differently? Or how about this? Have you ever... Have you ever encountered someone or even maybe even seen somebody and you're listening to the words that they're saying and there's a part of your spirit that just knows it's either true or not true? You're able to discern what's true and what's not true. And you're like, how do I know this? How do I know it's, I haven't had time to research what that person's saying. So how do I know that that's true or not true? Don't you believe that the Holy Spirit gives us counsel and He gives us wisdom? Why does he do that? Because living in the midst of a fallen world, it's, it's hard to navigate without his help. Or how about seasons where you're brokenhearted? You ever gone through a season where you're just, your heart just feels flat on the floor and you just feel utterly devastated? You just feel completely discouraged. And then you just have this sense of peace come upon you and you realize that the Holy Spirit is ministering to you in the midst of your grief. He comforts us. In the midst of our affliction, in the midst of our confusion, He comforts us. The power that you and I need is supplied to us. That's a wonderful thing. I mentioned uh, I mentioned my son earlier. You know, one of the fun things about having daughters is that they're nice, and one of the fun things about having sons is that as they're growing up don't dare lay down on the floor and let them see that because they will pounce, right? And just laying on the floor is like an invitation to a wrestling match. It's like, I don't want to wrestle. I just want to relax. That's why I'm laying down. And It's like, no, that means you're in a great position to jump on and stretch and twist your arm. And uh, it's my own fault, right? You know, because like I was, that's one. you know, I don't want to do that with them now. They're too big now, but but growing up like that that was just I I loved wrestling with my dad I loved wrestling with my sons and um, by the way one of my sisters sent me a message she said hey you know it's Easter you're gonna see dad today any chance you're gonna wrestle I was like I don't I don't think dad wants to wrestle because I know I certainly don't she's like oh okay it used to be on Easter you guys would wrestle no not today I don't think I don't think so not I'm just not feeling it right But growing up, I used to watch wrestling all the time. Did anyone watch wrestling? You don't have to admit it. Like, I know that we're losers, right? I know that, like, I know that if you liked it, you're just weird like me, right? And I love how I try and phrase all these things like it's all past tense. Like, I watched wrestling back in the day and wouldn't dare watch it immediately today, you know? Um, But one of the things that was really, really common, if you watched wrestling back in the 80s, you'd see this all the time. And I've referenced this from this pulpit other times, too. And amazingly, I still have a job, which cracks me up. But I, I, would, I, I would get a kick out of, like, one particular hold. I used to find it very interesting all the time. There are a couple guys that did it, guys like Jake the Snake, guys like Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Anyone know these guys? Nope. A couple people? All right, thank you. Thank you. Two people knew those names. I uh, actually met Jake the Snake a few years ago in New Jersey, believe it or not. You didn't want to know that, but I'm telling you anyway, that's bonus. But what they would do is they'd come up behind a guy and, uh, you know, put, put their arm around him and then they'd put him in a sleeper hold, right? And all of a sudden, you know, the guy would be flailing and flailing and all of a sudden now he's asleep in the middle of the ring. And I'd watch that with fascination as a child. I was like, oh, that guy is out cold. And some of you are like, you know, there's more to the story with Fred. Stop. Stop. I don't say no more, right? But I'd watch... I would, I would watch that as a child, and I would look at that, and I'd be like, oh, that guy's out. And Brutus Beefcake, what did he do? Well, he'd cut all the guy's hair off, right? While he's asleep. And then the guy'd wake up, and he's like, what's happened to all my hair? It's gone, man. You were asleep. <laughs> Jake the Snake, he'd put the guy out, and then the guy'd wake up with a 12-foot python on him. He's like, oh, what am I supposed to do, right? It was a very creative routine that was very common in 1980s wrestling. And here's the thing. This is what I've noticed about worry in my life. I promise I'm going to tie it back to something deeper than that. I, I've often equated that in my mind. To just think about, I, I feel like the concerns and the worries of this world so easily choke us out and rob us of power. If we let them. You know, it's like, it's like we're just like stranded on the mat there, right? We're just choked out, choked out, passed out. And so many people spend their life, and Christians sometimes can do this too, and and we really don't need to, and I hope I can encourage your hearts to to reconsider this if, if this is something you've been wrestling with, but some people spend their entire life worried about things, constantly worried, like what might come around the corner, or what might be the next thing that I have to deal with, or will I get through the thing I'm presently dealing with? and they worry, and they worry, and they worry. And what happens when you worry? It's like you're just choking yourself out the whole time. Then you find yourself just powerless. You find yourself powerless because you you become so overly focused, and you just idolize that worry, and you're just choked out. And then you look at what Christ tells us in a portion of Scripture like this. He says, you're going to be clothed with power. And I think to myself... Scripture tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives within you now. He lives within you now. That's not just a later thing when we get to heaven. That's not just an eventually thing. One of the blessings of living on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the way that God is working in our lives now. It is a privilege to live in this era of history because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us as Christ sent him to us to indwell every believer, and he fills us with his power. You could go through life powerless if you choose, or you could convince yourself you're powerless when you're actually not. That is not a pleasant way to live. It's actually not a wise way to live. And... Uh, It robs you of joy that you're supposed to be experiencing, and it steals moments away from you when you're supposed to be brave and courageous, but instead you give in to fears of all these things that, that you can't control, and really you're just supposed to soldier right through it with the power of God, and that you can soldier through it with the power of God. This entire world can lose its mind. Side note, it already has, right? This entire world can lose its mind, and you as a believer in Christ don't need to. I think one of the blessings that the Lord's given this world is the presence of believers in Christ as ambassadors all throughout this world as a stabilizing force. Because here we are reminding people and demonstrating to people that we actually believe what Jesus said, and that we actually believe he's present with us that we actually believe his spirit lives within us. Christ's victory is now our victory. This is a shared victory. The victory Christ secured over sin, Satan, and death is a victory shared with you. It's not kept to himself. It's a shared victory. And again, I love what scripture tells us. Romans chapter eight, verse 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, what does that mean? Well, it means that you and I have not been left powerless in this world. It means that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that living within you right now is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, so sin can't crush you any longer. Satan's intention to destroy your life will not be victorious. Death has lost its grip of fear over you because the Holy Spirit lives within you and and has given you His divine power. So I don't know what you spend most of your time fearful of in this world. It's probably either something bad coming your way that you can't control or something bad happening to somebody you love that you can't control. And here's the thing, most of what we think we can control, we also can't control. So you're going through life, you might as well just admit your desire to control things that you can't control isn't helping you. So just admit, I can't control any of this stuff. What can I control? I think I can control one thing with the Spirit's help, my posture toward Him. I accept you, Lord. I'm grateful for your presence in my life. I'm grateful for the power that you give me in the midst of confusing eras of my life or confusing eras of history. You're present with me. You've given me your power. Help me to actually walk in that power. Today, it's Resurrection Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. So let's think about what this means for us. We don't need to wrestle with doubt forever. We can trust that what he's communicated in his word is accurate. We don't need to live like we're powerless in the midst of this world. We don't need to be troubled because in Christ, everything is going to work out. And you and I, in just a few moments, we're going to approach a new week and approach a new day. We're going to step forth from this spot. We're going to enter into a new week. Maybe you'll have the opportunity to interact with family or friends later today. Certainly will throughout the course of the week. And you certainly will throughout the course of your life. Christ is present with us. He's not defeated. He defeated death. His spirit lives within us. We have the power that we need. And just as Christ rose from death, Scripture assures us that we will rise from death as well. And we'll experience an eternal joy that will not fade with time, and it can never be taken away from us. That's what Christ secured in his resurrection from the grave. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. and. For the privilege that it is on a day like this to just think about these things. Lord, we celebrate your resurrection with, with great joy. And we rejoice in what you revealed to your disciples in the moments soon after. As they were fearful, as they were fear- feeling a bit timid, as they were worried about what might be coming their way. You assured them that they did not need to continue on with their doubt or their fear or their trepidation because you had their lives securely in your hand, and you were about to clothe them with power. And Lord, we pray that as we go through our lives, whatever challenges we face, whatever adversity, whatever difficulty, whatever season comes our way that might seem fearful or troubling or confusing, we pray that we'd be able to look at it and say, I don't need to be choked out in fear. I don't need to be choked out in worry. I am not powerless in this moment. The Holy Spirit... The Spirit who raised Jesus from death lives within me. The same power lives within me. So Father, we're just so grateful that we see your heart at work in the lives of your people. We see the work that you accomplished through your Son. We see the work that you accomplished through your Spirit. We get to live it out right now, and just as your son promised, that the message of the gospel gets to be proclaimed to the generations and to the nations and to people all throughout this world through those who have come to know you through him. So Lord, we're grateful for this privilege. We're grateful that this gets to be our testimony, that this gets to be what people see as they observe our lives and and hear the, the words coming from our lips. We're just grateful for all of that. And Lord, we pray that that we would trust in you completely. We know, Lord, that you are pleased by faith. I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone in my hearing who as of yet is not trusted in your son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse them of their sin and give them new life, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to faith in your son. And I pray for those of us who already believe in your son and have great confidence in his work, that we would continue to mature in our faith, that we would continue to understand your word with more clarity and that we would walk with power knowing that you've given us the power that we need. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful for these things, and we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to to just spend some time looking at your word today, thinking about them and singing songs of praise to you, and by your grace, even having fellowship around a table. We pray that it all bring you glory and bring you honor. And again, Father, today we thank you for the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.